Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Um, Watermark brings together diverse stories from around the globe about our relationship with water, how we are drawn to it, what we learn from it, how we use it, and the consequences of that use. Watermarks is shot in a stunning 5K ultra-definition, high-definition video and full of soaring aerial perspectives. Uh, This film shows water from a terraforming element and the scale of its reach, as well as the magnitude of our need to use it. Um, Jennifer... Bechwal is uh, the co-director of this film, along with Edward Burdinsky. Uh Edward and her worked together on a film earlier called uh, Manufactured Landscapes. Jennifer, welcome to Film School. Yes, thank you so much for having me. It's nice to be back. Now, as I mentioned in the introduction, um, you had worked with Edward Burdinsky on the uh, earlier on ma- with Manufactured Landscapes. Um, was watermarks an outgrowth of that um, collaboration and effort uh, or was it something that happened post uh, that film well I mean we because our manufactured landscapes had a, a kind of surprising reach around the world in terms of the number of people that saw it the number of countries it was released in I mean we were making a meditative film about an artist uh, at work in China, and all of a sudden it became this kind of rallying cry for or for uh, uh, an awareness of globalization. Um, in, and I think that we always talked about doing something together again, but we weren't sure what that was going to be. And um, he did a, a project on oil, an essay on oil. Mm-hmm. We did act of God and payback in the meantime. And then it started with a National Geographic assignment where they called Ed and asked if he would he would photograph water in California, which is kind of uh, appropriate. Mm-hmm. And um, um, it, he went and did this essay. And of course, as you already know, and I'm sure your, your um, listeners know, California has incredibly complex water agreements because most of its water comes from other states. It comes from outside of California. And he went and, and photographed her, and then when he came back with those photographs and showed them to us, we all looked at each other, Nick DuPonte, who's a cinematographer, and, and my husband and the producer, and Ed and I said, this is it. This, this is the project. And so um, we... this everything just sort of fell into place. And what was great about it this time is that we got to do the research together. So we started from the very beginning Mm -hmm. um, deciding how to tell the story in stills and in a cinematic medium um, together. And I think it really made a difference. Whereas in Manufactured Landscapes, when we went to China, it was Ed's last trip to China, and he'd been five times, and we were documenting in some ways what had already happened. Now, uh, did you have a um, an interest, sort of, uh, did did Edward's work pique your, your interest in water and, and our relationship to water, or was this something that had been sort of kicking around somewhere inside your, your mind before all of this? Well, I think, I mean, I will say that, uh, that manufactured landscapes opened up yeah. for both Nick and myself, who have always been 
environmentally conscious, but a much greater ecological awareness. When you're in some of these sites um, in China, in the midst of these places that um, you are responsible for, but would never normally see, you know, the interior factories and the recycling heaps they go to, things go to after we throw them away, and it's very difficult not to be changed by that. And so uh, we were thinking about um, big environmental themes. And, of course, water is, you know, water is life. That's yeah. a cliche to say, but it's true. And whenever there is no water, life stops. Yeah. And, and I think that when we witness droughts and we witness what is happening because of climate change, the kind of, um, craziness around water, the flooding and the flooding in some places and droughts in other places. Um, this is going to be a, an issue that will preoccupy all of us um, uh, in 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 the years to come. And so that was very, you know, thinking about that was top of mind. On the and, but also um, this question of how you kind of deal with such a vast subject was very challenging. It was a challenge. And water is very cinematic. So I think all those things came together to make us realize that this could be a film. And could we do a film that, like Manufactured Landscapes, was experiential without being didactic uh -huh. and that, that allowed the viewer to sort of be immersed, as you said, a water metaphor, in these worlds of water yeah and open up consciousness about our relationship with water without going down the usual road of, of polemic or, you know, the, the, the call to, to alarm that we're all, you know, we're all in deep, deep trouble, which is the, gen, you know, the, the, the more expected environmental scene. Right. And I, I have to tell you, one of the things that I so appreciate about Watermarks, one of the reasons I liked it so much is um, you get a broad view of, of our as our relationship to water, um, and how it is everywhere, but it's invisible at the same time to to most of us. And I, and you know, just as a personal note, I happen to work for one of the largest public works agencies in the world, and I can tell you that water is the most important um, thing, topic, issue that we'll deal with for the next who knows how long for for certainly for the length of my lifetime. That's, uh, that's, that's fascinating and true. You're right. When when the water water refugees, I mean, you can just yeah. imagine um, uh, the future. And because you know, Canada has I think 20 percent of the world's fresh water reserve, mm. and it's very easy to take it for granted uh, here. Um, and uh, you know, jumping in a lake, turning on a tap, all of those things yeah. that people can't do in other places in the world. And 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 I think that that was also an impetus for all of us um, in this film. Absolutely. We're speaking with uh, Jennifer Beishwal, the uh, director, co-director of the film uh, Watermarks, along with Edward Bertinsky. Um, and um, so I, I, and it comes out, by the way, uh, April 18th here in Los Angeles, and I believe we'll be rolling out across the country um, from here. Is it already opened in Canada by any chance? It has, so in fact, we, it opened in New York this weekend, mm. and we're slowly moving across. You're right, we're, we're in Los Angeles on the uh, uh, 18th and 19th, but uh, we opened in Canada in after the Toronto Film Festival last September, and that whole rollout happened, and, and it played in theaters here until December, and so we were 
Um, uh, it, it had a big impact here, which was really good. Yeah, I don't want to get too far afield here, but uh, my sense is that uh, the Canadian film going um, public is is much more keyed into um, documentaries and and films like yours. Uh, is is that been is a is that been the case for um, for watermarks as well? Well, I mean it's a, it, it's an up and down thing. Like the the kind of documentaries, the one off theatrical documentaries that we make are increasingly more and more difficult to fund, and so they're rarer and rarer. Mm. And to have a you know something that is a hit at the box office or actually that people come to the theater to see and that and it does well in that way. Um, is also increasingly rare. And I think we struck a chord um, uh, with this film in Canada, and we're hoping that it does the same in the U.S., especially in California, because of all of the the water issues that you've been experiencing now. And I don't know if you saw um, a couple of days ago the news about the Delta, that there there was water in the Delta again mm. um, because of a uh, an agreement with, uh, these conservationists have been working and working in the Delta for years, trying to get just a little bit more water, mm-hmm. 1% of the water from the Colorado, if it was allowed to go back into the Delta, would be sufficient to restore it. But they, there wasn't even 1% left. And now, with this agreement, more water, a very little amount, but enough, is, is going into the Delta. And for the first time in 40 or 50 years, um, the delta is uh, is filled with water. Again. I can tell you, for personally, that um, one of the things that really does have an impact on water usage. First of all, I'll go back to what I was saying earlier about where I work. Capturing water and and allowing it to percolate into the aquifer is yeah. becoming an increasingly just a high, very high priority. Uh, and for us, which is the as I said, we're, we're from LA County, so we're largest. Um, user and consumer of water and uh, also uh, we have the capacity to return a lot of water which is a huge part of this but one of the things that i found in as a californian that i didn't realize is there are hundreds and hundreds of water districts throughout the state and the the uh, their uh, authority and their water usage rights and all kinds of things it's a very crazy quilt of it, it, of that it's the most complex um yeah system of, of yeah. I think, water agreements that exist yeah. because of that. Um, it's fascinating, actually, that, that a place like Los Angeles can exist in what would otherwise be desert. Right, right. right. And and I yeah. will tell you, there are probably a dozens of water districts just within water authorities within L.A. and Orange County. There are. It's just crazy. Yeah. It's a crazy... Anyway, I don't want to get too far afield here because we could get bogged down in that. Let's just go back to what I'm talking about, water watermarks here. Um, this is a film that has 20 different storylines, and all of them, again, are, I'll go back to this, just this image, the beauty of these images, but 20 different stories. I know it was done in 10 different countries. Tell us a little bit about the logistics of pulling watermarks together. Oh, my God. Well, <laughs> I, I'll say that uh, it took us, I mean, the whole, the, the, the film from beginning to end was about three and a half years. Okay. Um, and Ed had started a bit early because of this National Geographic essay. And so we shot on and off for about a year and a half. And some of the more, um, you know, that we were in China, we were in India, um, there's a story in Bangladesh, we were in Europe, we were in Mexico, we were in, in the U.S., we were in Canada. Um, 
we found, I mean, in some of the places that China, for example, we took, I mean, we took remote helicopters with us because one of the things that, that we discovered once we started to shoot water was that you could only really understand the, the scale by going up into the air. Mm-hmm. You can't really see what a watershed looks like unless you go up. You can't see what the pattern of a river looks like unless you go up. You can't see what a dry delta looks like unless you go up into the air. And so China was the most complicated in some ways because uh, it's impossible to get any kind of air access for a real helicopter. So we took these remote helicopters with us and um, uh, a, a company named Free Fly Cinema that is based in Seattle, Tab Furcho, had actually built this helicopter that could hold our epic camera, our 5K camera, and Ed Tasselblad camera, and we could do these aerials with these remote helicopters. And so taking those, for example, onto the site of the Gilles Dam, and all you need to know about the Gilles Dam is that it's six times bigger than the Hoover Dam. It's amazing. Massive. (laughs) And we, we got there and were overwhelmed thinking, how are we going to possibly tell the story of this dam? Well, we went down onto the dam construction site at night with our crew, all going down, you know, perpendicular ladders uh, with 600-foot drops below us with no safety. Um, and, uh, and at night with our crew <laughs> holding these, heli- these remote helicopters in one hand and having our hands on the rungs, um, uh, the other hand on the rungs. And I'm telling you, I was, I was holding my breath the whole time that nothing would happen to any of our crew. Um, that was a very challenging experience. But what, what we learned, I mean, when you think about it, that dam has been under construction since 2007 for 24 hours a day. Is and this what, is this... Is, I'm sorry, Jennifer, is this the one that we refer to as the Three Gorge Dam, or is that the no, same? the Three Gorges Dam was in manufactured landscape. Oh, that, yes, it was, that that's right. a different dam. It is that's a right. gravity dam. An arch dam is sort of pinned between two mountain ranges, right. and it's a curve. And basically, this dam is on one of the upper tributaries of the Yangtze, the Jinsha River, near the border of Burma. And, and you know, it's been under construction since 2007, 24 hours a day. And the number of people who go on that dam every day to work, that was very humbling to think, my gosh, these people are, 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 are working so hard to, to finish this dam. And, of course, for China, um, hydropower is green power. It is an alternative uh, to coal. It is a, it, and, and so they, are, they need power because they're still an industrial powerhouse. And these dams for them, are an answer to um, more polluting forms of energy. So that was incredibly challenging. The Kumbh Mela, where in India, which is a religious festival on the Ganges River, where 30 million people come to one place on the same day, which is the entire population of Canada in one place, (laughs) all to take a, a sacred bath in the river. And Nick and Ed had to go in a week before because then all the traffic gets shut down and they were in tents and literally hiking every day with all of their equipment down to the, um, uh, down to the, the, the water's edge. And that was also uh, very intense. I think the, the, the production was, it's such a privilege to be able to, be, to go into all of these different worlds. Yeah. The rice paddies um, in India, the, 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 the ice cores, in Greenland, and, and to have this 
um, privileged access to to what are incredible worlds. Editing them was a very difficult yeah. <laughs> sort of process that went on for a year, eleven months. And Roland Schlim and I, who is our who also edited Manufactured Landscapes, we waded through two hundred and seventy hours of material and and then slowly started putting together this structure um, that was meant to feel a bit like a river, one thing flowing into yeah. another. Yeah. Um, so that the viewer could be kind of taken along on this journey uh, with all of these different sort of existential and iconic examples of, of our interaction with water. Well, let me just say, as a viewer, that the your that it, it paid off the work of yourself and um, the cinema. I mean, the editor was Ronald. I'm like, what am I? Ro- Roland. Schlem, Roland. Roland. Yes. Yeah, and, uh, and Nick. Duponte, who was the cinematographer, and Ed, of course, who yes. who was there the whole time, um, you know, with us, trying to figure out how to convey these places. Well, it, it really does, it, and, it, and I think you've aptly described this. Uh, the 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 film itself, um, it does move like a river. Uh, you're you're watching, you're going from one spectacular scene to another, and as as was the case in manufactured landscapes, the opening, um, I think it's it's eight minute. Um, or so, give or take, uh, opening shot in manufactured landscapes and the opening in, in watermarks leaves such a, a powerful image in my mind. And so many of the images in manufactured landscapes will stay with me for my entire lifetime. The uh, Just uh, remarkable. As well as this. These are this is just, it, it's beautiful. It's harrowing at times to see this. It's frightening to see the scale of which we're going to be, con- we are consuming water. Uh, and and redirecting it and redirecting it. it just it really it's all of those things it it is a, in many ways a very evocative film to watch because um, of just what I said and it just it is amazing uh, the scale on which we're uh, these these uh, enterprises these projects um, are taking on um, and I've never seen this in a film I got to tell you the credit I think it's a, I know it's in the credits but and I'll get the ratio wrong but I think it says 180 to one footage is that yes. is that right yeah it was 180 to one which, <laughs> because we were 90 minutes that worked out to about uh, 270 um, hours and I have to say I know that sounds incredibly inefficient like it sounds like no? you don't know what you're doing but I will say that our <laughs> we have a. We never worked with work with a script, and it's it's sort yeah. it's a philosophical choice because I feel like when you are in these environments and you're going to all of these different places around the world, the the most important thing is humility mm-hmm. um, in these contexts, and also a an openness to the place, the context, so that number one, you are able to convey it to a viewer, yeah. and number two that you are able to be there in an authentic way that does not ethically compromise uh, anything in that context. And I would say that that is kind of our approach whenever we go, whenever we are filming. And it is an openness to what is going to happen. So consequently, we do um, shoot a lot of footage. And I think it allows these these kind of intimacies. I mean, the whole film um, has a dialectic between the wide, wide view of scale, the overwhelming view, and then these the, small details yeah. of people interacting or small moments of, of, of people in these large-scale um, contexts. And, and in order to do that, I think, in a way that is 
authentic, you you have to shoot a lot and be open and present. And uh, that's so I would, even though it seems inefficient, I think it is, for me, that is uh, the way to to make documentary. There's lots of different ways of doing it. That's our way. I, I find that encouraging because um, I'm beginning to work on my own film, and I think that is an op- that is an optimum approach: is to be uh, flexible, available to to uh, the circumstances that may present themselves uh, as best you can, and try to move uh, try to move that story forward in the, in in the context of that. Uh, that that's important. Um, in the last couple of minutes, I've got you here. Um, there. It was there in trying to pull together these 20 different stories. Was there a discussion that you were having with Edward Berdinsky, co-director of this? Uh, or was there a, is there a moment? Was there something that you, the, the thread, you see the thread uh, in your own mind, and you're able to convey that to uh, Roland and to Nicholas and, and to, to get the film where you wanted it to be? Was there... Well, it was. I mean, we, we ended up only, uh, we started with about 60 possibilities mm-hmm. that became 20. And then once we were there, mm-hmm. um, we were often, as I said, filming in a very broad way in that sort of openness to the That's situation. Right. But then when we got into the edit room, and, and that was where um, Roland and I really sat down and rolled up our sleeves, because I think what I wanted to, we wanted to do, and we all talked about this in more general philosophical terms, we wanted there to be sort of illumination through juxtaposition. So by putting things beside each other, they shed light on each other in some way. But also just this idea of iconic interaction. I mean, the reason that we chose DACA as an example of industrial water, and believe me, it could have been the tar sands in yeah. Canada. Yeah. We tried to get access to the tar sands and could not. I mean, that is a, a, a glaring example of, of industrial use of water in our own country. But DACA is, is, is oh. a place that is essentially medieval. Yeah. Um, when, yeah. And yet 90% of the leather that is processed there is for export. So it's yeah. coming to Canada, it's coming to the U.S., it's going to Europe. And so we are connected to that place. And for me, that was the most important thing, to make that connection. And, of course, in, in Dhaka, the, the effluent is going directly into the Buriganga River. There's no regulation yeah. about the toxic effluent that comes from these tanneries. So that became really important, just as going to B.C. to show what a pristine watershed looks like. What does water look like before we redirect it, before we change it, before we use it? And... The, the last shot, I'll just say, it was a, a helicopter shot. In some cases, it was not more than um, 30 feet of clearance between the two um, in the canyon with this helicopter uh, going down along the Stikine River. And you see the, the bend, the meandering shape of this river and realize this is what a river is meant to look like. And so all of the stories had to have that iconic, Status, and they also had to be visual. I mean, and and so I'm glad that it had the impact that it did on you visually, because I think that the key to an experiential kind of film, an immersive film, is to be able to have all of these these images wash over you um, in a way that uh, uh, that is transformative. It was, and I really, it really, it, it's. 
Yeah, remarkable imagery, um, and again, indelible. I, I, I will, like I said, you know, regarding manufactured landscapes in this one as well, I'll carry these images. They're just, uh, they're so prime. they're primal in some ways. That, you know, our relationship to water is, the scientist is describing, we're born in water, we're sustained in water. We, yeah. you know, or the relationship between us and water is indistinguishable. We're 70% water. There are so yeah. many, so many threads through this film and through the, the stories that you tell that are so key to to for us to to really understand this because I think the subtext for me and in, in, in a lot of in watching watermarks is that we are destroying the thing that we need most in life and it's so so yeah. element elementary um, real quick and this will be I think we can uh, wrap up on this and that is uh, the things um, bad and good that you learned about sort of uh, the overall health of water? And maybe that's too broad a question. What is the most encouraging thing that you've learned through making watermarks uh, that will help us <laughs> help us move forward in... in, in uh... here, here is something that is extremely hopeful. And, um, and the, when we went to the Delta, the Colorado River Delta, the first time, Ed and I flew over it in a helicopter. And you'll see in the film that there are these kind of tree-like forms um, in the desert of the ocean coming up, trying to find the river in the delta and not finding it Mm. and just dying Mm. in the sand. And it was an incredibly powerful and devastating landscape. And then we went down, Nick and I went down to Mexico and stood right where those forms were with Donna Innocencia, who is who is a Kukapa, mm-hmm. whose whole fishing community has been decimated by the fact that there is no water in the delta, and it really has not uh, reached the delta consistently for 40 years. But there was a fascinating story in this place, which is called the Cineaga of Santa Clara, the Santa Clara, and it is now a biosphere reserve. And an inadvertent amount of wastewater um, was let off agricultural wastewater um, in Arizona into back into the delta, and all of a sudden, this thriving wetland appeared again. Hmm. And it became the basis for all of these activists who were working the delta to know it didn't take much. It only took a very small amount of water Amazing. for that delta to come alive again. So the hopeful message to me, and then of course, in the last whatever two weeks water has come back to the Delta because of some of these agreements that, um, that have allowed you know, less than 1% of the water from the Colorado to come back into the Delta, and, and, and the Delta is alive again. And so when we let water go back to where, the, where it wants to go, that landscape reading remediates itself. And for me, that was an incredibly hopeful. Oh, that's that's wonderful to hear. That's a good way to to wrap up. Uh, I, I and I would just add very quickly, and that is, the earth itself is a cleansing agent for water. You yes. allow water to percolate down into the aquifers. It will. The earth will take care of us if we take care of it. And we can't. I think we lose sight of this. This is not negotiable. We can't negotiate with nature. We have, we have to allow it to do what it does. Uh, and if we if we continue to try and control it in ways that are destructive, but yeah, let's end on your happy note. And that's that's, that's that is fantastic. That happy, you know, and and the note that that water is life. Water is life. Water Thank is you. life.
So. Jennifer Bashwall, thank you so much for being here. The film is Watermarks. It opens um, April 18th here in Los Angeles, and it's already open in, in New York. It will be uh, coming to a theater near you and uh, and seek it out. Uh, I don't know what the VOD schedule is or any of the other. Um, It'll be a bit later. Okay. All right. Uh, well, Jennifer, thank you again for being on Film School. Really appreciate it. So much for having me. Take okay. Care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.